From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF. Sarah Feldberg, one of my editors on the new Throughline section in the Chronicle, which I keep calling new even though there's only one edition left, Sarah. We've been doing this for eight weeks, but the eight weeks have flown by. I love this section. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to when I heard about it. I thought it might be depressing. Uh, Throughlines are a section about what the Bay Area might look like after the pandemic and protests. Um, you have a new baby asleep right now, so we'll talk quietly. As you're editing these stories, how much are you thinking about her future? Oh, man, I'm definitely thinking about her future. Um, Last week, we had a story about education and the ways that all of the adaptations to COVID that are pretty uncomfortable right now might actually change education for the better. And it was both like a hopeful story and a story about how hard it is right now. And it made it actually made me feel pretty optimistic for the future of education and also so, so grateful that I don't have kids who are at an age where their schooling has been totally interrupted and they're expected to spend five hours a day on Zoom because that sounds really hard. I have two of those such children, and we are recording at three o'clock today because all of the Zoom and table space and uh, bandwidth um, I can't go on Wi-Fi certain times. I think, though, and, and I got this at a through line, too, I feel more hopeful doing this project coming out of it. I feel more hopeful for uh, myself and for them. I feel a little less guilty. I feel like we handed them this bad world. But now, working on these through line stories, it feels like maybe there could be a real good world that comes out of this, too. Yeah, I mean, I love that word, hopeful. And that was something that I didn't know I was going to get out of this section when we first started thinking about it. Um, You know, I think it's easy to go to like the dystopian place in 2020. It's pretty easy headspace to get into. Um, But a lot of the stories have been really hopeful and we've been asking people to dream big and not think about obstacles and challenges. And the visions they've presented have been pretty awe-inspiring and it's definitely made me hopeful. And I've gotten some really nice emails from our Chronicle subscribers and readers saying that they feel hopeful too reading these stories. So that's been just really lovely to receive. Yeah, yeah. Well, me too. Um, I've gotten so much email from this. um, And we've talked to futurists. We've talked to essential workers, a burrito shop owner, Lemony Snicket. Um, This week, though, it's the readers and specifically the children have their say. Led by my guest today on Total SF, Six Feet of Separation publisher, Chris Collin. You've seen this piece, Sarah? It's awesome. Um, First of all, these kids can write so much better than I could at their age, but they just have really cool, interesting, exciting ideas for the future about what they want their classrooms to look like and how they want them to function, uh, how they want playgrounds to look and how they want them to function. They just have big, awesome ideas for how we should come out of this thing. And maybe we should just put them in charge. Yeah. You know, that was Chris's idea. He's a parent in Bernal Heights. Right when the pandemic hit in March, he put out a call on Facebook. If you have a kid, they want to write, let's do it. Don't think about it. Just send me something, write something. Started out six feet of separation, a newspaper, but it's online. It started out as a 29-page publication. (laughs) 
He had foreign correspondents, um, people outside of Bernal Heights. He had a data journalist in the beginning. Um, everything from somebody writing an idea for a social distancing hula hoop. A kid like reviewed his uh, parents' spaghetti dinner and gave it a three out of five stars, which I love. Ouch. I just loved the spirit of this thing. And I think they're going into their seventh edition now. It just seemed like this joyful, living, thoughtful thing at a time where we don't have enough of that. It's so fun. I was just reading their most recent issue, which came out in August, and it's just a good time. It's so creative. The kids are awesome. There's an Ask a 17-year-old column, and when I was like 13 or 14, I would have died for an Ask a 17-year-old column. (laughs) It's amazing. I saw that. Um, I ended up interviewing him and doing the story in March. Um, One of my most read stories of the year, Dan Rather, Dan Rather commented on it and tweeted it out, calling it a virtual newspaper for our troubled times, which I love it. That's now on the Six Feet of Separation, um, their, their website. Um, I interviewed Chris in March, didn't do a podcast then and regretted it. He talked to me by Zoom this week about how the project got started, other newspapers that have been inspired by Six Feet, and I administer Heather Knight's lightning round. So, Sarah, we're going to learn Chris's favorite burrito shop in San Francisco. Always an important question. Check out the newspaper at sixfeetofnews.com. Check out Throughline on Sunday. It's the last Throughline, but uh, the section's on our website too, sfchronicle.com. Really proud of our work. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Sarah Feldberg. Chris Collin coming up. This is Total SF. Thank you very much. Chris Collin, welcome to Total SF, and congratulations on your fifth edition of Six Feet of Separation. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I, I've been keeping up with, with your newspaper since we spoke uh, a little bit earlier in, in the shelter in place. Um, strong fifth edition. I saw you had an interview with a MTA official. Uh, very strong argument about Pluto being a planet and uh, ask a 17-year-old, do you have an advice column now? It's coming along. Are you still being surprised? Uh, I'm always surprised um, when when you are in the business of publishing um, journalism by people who are um, between the ages of two and, and 17. Yeah, you're, you're often surprised by what comes up. Um, but yeah, no, it's going great. I'm surprised that the Chronicle and the New York Times are still around. I sort of thought we would have driven them out by now, but uh, I'm glad, you know, that's not our goal. We, we all, we can all live in this media landscape. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of competition. I have to say it stings a little bit when, when we get scooped. Um, but uh Mostly, I'm rooting for you 100%. Thank you. Also, because uh, you're kind of partnering with the Chronicle now. Um, I know my editors approached you about being included in our Throughline edition. And uh, I wanted to just kind of start with that. Um, what are you going to be doing? And, and uh, how is this sort of uh, uh, collaboration going to work? Yeah, it's a fun one. Um, it's sort of extra fun because the idea, of course, is to talk about the future and one thing I've learned working with kids in this project is that you might think kids are focused on the future but they're sort of not um Uh 
Uh-huh. I think grown-ups like to ask kids about the future. Like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Or what, I don't know, um, uh, what's this coming year going to be like? I, I don't know. It's, it's this sort of weird fixation that grown-ups have. And kids are very rooted in the present moment, like the toy or the feeling or the injustice or whatever, in, right in front of them. That's, that's their orientation. Um, so so gra- getting hold of a lot of kids and asking them to speculate about the future or fantasize about the future was a fun project because it, it's a little bit of a stretch for them. Well, I, I wanted to um, even go back to the beginning, and um, you know, you're you're a Bernal Heights resident. The pandemic hits, and you decide for the first time in your life you're going to be a publisher. Yes, yeah, it was. Um, it's funny. It, it it feels like years ago, but it was really just back in March. Um, it started very much on a on a lark. Uh, I just had this idea or this. Um, clarity that I think we all had that there was suddenly going to be a whole bunch of kids sitting around with nothing to do and a lot of um, feelings that they were trying to make sense of, um, sort of confusion about what was going on outside their doors and uh, a lot of um, feelings about what was going on inside their lives, in their homes, and in their heads. So uh, yeah, on something of a whim, I just dashed off an email to a bunch of neighbors and said, Let's start a newspaper. Um, kids will cre- create all the content. Uh, just send it to me, and I'll and we'll we'll get this thing going. And I really figured I'd get like six jokey articles about Purell or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I woke up the next morning, and there were submissions from all over. I mean, all over the neighborhood, all over San Francisco. And within a couple of days, I was getting articles from around the country, and then beyond. Uh, United States. So um, it's it very quickly took off in a way I hadn't expected and was very delighted by. Talk to me about those first submissions, because um, I absolutely loved the first edition. Again, I went in expecting certain things about kids and what they'd be focused on. And then we got uh, two reviews of The Good Place <laughs> and uh, pranks and um, uh, a, a little dissertation, I think, of Terminator 2 as well. Yeah. What what came in? What started flooding in for you? Yeah, I mean, I did have this sort of heavy adult idea that this was going to be, um, that this was a really trying and, and traumatizing uh, situation for for young people. And I I expected that um, you know, there'd be like a lot of sort of heavy maudlin pieces about loneliness or missing friends or, or anxiety about this, this illness. And there was some of that, but there was also just a ton of like wacky recipes and jokes and strange inventions and weird drawings and, and reviews of, um, you know, books and movies and TV shows and video games and, um, you know, I think I think when the historians look back on <laughs> on uh, this uh, all these pieces, they will be able to like sort of squint and see a reaction to this pandemic. Uh, it is very you know, kids are just as as walloped by it as we are, but it just comes out in a in a different way. Was there was there one submission that you just looked at it and like and thought to yourself? This was a really good idea. This is going to work. Um, I 
gosh. I mean, the, I don't know why this pops into my head, but there was there was a joint. This is from our criticism section. Uh, there were reviews um, by a brother and sister of each other, like reviews of each other as <laughs> as people, <laughs> and. And I was like, oh, yeah, this this is the kind of stuff that the, the lamestream press is not publishing. We need to be out there publishing this stuff. So, yeah, that 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 and other pieces gave me confidence that that the paper will do just fine. We're going to be around for a long time, long after this pandemic is over. Knock wood. <laughs> I, I remember uh, the one that grabbed me that just made me fall in love. And, and I'm a subscriber for life now was <laughs> the kid who reviewed his parents spaghetti dinner mm-hmm. and gave it, I think three out of five stars. Yeah. It was a lukewarm which... review. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he didn't pan it. It was just like, mom, you could have done better. You didn't tell me about the parsley. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm, I, the fun, the fun stuff and the funny stuff is obviously lovely. Um, but I don't want to, to, gloss over the other stuff because it really is and 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 um part of my plan has been to sort of start start these writers um with easy easy pieces that um can help them build confidence you know as you know it's not easy to to write and you everyone gets nervous about it and you get the you get this sort of uh, willies about whether you're going to do a good piece or not. And so it's the same with kids. And I wanted them to start out with easy, fun pieces. And then my secret plan is to sort of nudge them into slightly more challenging assignments. Um, and then, you know, in a few months, we'll be doing full-on journalism. That's that's the vision. Give me, give me a couple of examples of some of the more ambitious things that you've seen. Because there, there is, I should let people know if they haven't checked it out, there is data journalism in Six Feet of Separation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, one of our contributors, Griffin, um, he, he was um, doing actual reporting. I mean, more reporting than you see in, in some newspapers, I will say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he he was let's see one of his pieces he um he he did not only reporting but managing. He he found a bunch of younger kids to send up to the top of Bernal Hill. Um this was when we were just starting to obsess as a culture about what 6 feet of distance means and how close we're allowed to come to each other and where are the places that are getting too crowded and is is the outside safe or not. And he he dispatched a bunch of younger reporters to the top of Bernal Hill and they sat up there with their um their stopwatches and their notepads and they kept track of like how what the traffic the foot traffic on Bernal Hill was like over the course of a day and so by the end he had a, a chart of when it was safe to go up and, and when it wasn't um what else he, he called a bunch of local restaurants this was a real service um and got some really important data early on on what places were open and what places were not and what was going on with them um yeah, so he that was he was doing some real um some real sort of shoe leather journalism. Well, you're you're the publisher. Um you are to my knowledge the only adult who's um you know, this is a this is all kids. Um what is your role and kind of what's your philosophy in terms of um how you're running this newspaper and uh and uh what you're telling the kids? Yeah, um I mean, I said early on that my my that our editorial philosophy was, or rather, our editorial position was yes. Um, 
And so, you know, this was <laughs> this came about at a time when, as you'll remember, we were learning that you could like walk up to a bar and get a cocktail to go. You could just walk down Mission Street drinking a cocktail. And I was like, well, as long as we're ripping up all the rules of life and society, why should it be that kids have to go through this this sort of gutting experience that grown-up writers do where you apply, you submit to a publication and then you wait around and then you finally get this depressing rejection letter. I mean, who needs it? So I said, well, just our, our policy will be yes and we'll just find a way. So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the governing spirit of the, of the newspaper. And, uh, and yeah, so that, <laughs> that means that sometimes you get a whole lot of banana bread recipes and, um, and sometimes you get, re- you know, more than one review of the same TV show. And I think that's lovely. I'm all for all of that. Um, but yeah, like I said, that also lets me, um, sort of, um, help, help the kids get comfortable with the process of writing and, and converting their thoughts into words. And then as we, as that relationship develops and as they get more and more comfy with that, I can say, okay, you know, I like this piece too. And I wonder if you could explore this idea or what would happen if you asked this person this question. So you get to sort of nudge them into, into uh, new territory. We'll be right back after this short break. How, um, how did it start in terms of attention? I mean, was it mostly on your Facebook group? And at what point did this become something where there really was national, national interest? And, and um, you know, how, 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 did it, how did the word get out? I don't know how the word got out. Um, I think, you know, well, everyone sort of had a, had a lot of time on their hands and parents had a lot of, uh, they were both super busy and stretched really thin. And also they were, sitting around the house trying to figure out what to do for their kids to keep them semi-sane. Um, so there was a lot of word of mouth, um, and a lot of people sharing Facebook posts. And then um, there were a couple pieces in the New York Times. There was something in the Chronicle. There was an NPR piece. There was a Wired piece. Um, the, the Nature uh journals podcasted i mean pretty soon like it it was um it was getting a lot of press which was really wonderful and and it served my purposes quite nicely which is just to get more and more kids all around the country to hear about it um and when i got this grant from at&t and began working with 826 national um you know that really let things take off and let me focus on what i what I really wanted to focus on, which was making it a, a local newspaper for neighborhoods all over the country and really be able to focus on the kids who I think need it most. And so kids in underserved communities where having a voice, having some agency at an out of control time, um, having some connection with other kids that are elsewhere in the country going through something similar. I think all of that is uh, extra important in, in, communities that don't get that kind of thing as much. And that's, that's what we want to be there for. I remember in March, when we first spoke about the first edition, you said people were coming to you and um, talking about starting newspapers of their own. Did, did that happen? And, and uh, could you talk to me about that? 
Yeah, that, that's been one of the nicer things to see is a lot of people have asked how they can start something similar and have done so. So I've seen um, local newspapers pop up here in San Francisco and elsewhere uh, in, a, in a similar spirit. Um, and yeah, I just think that's great. I, I mean, my ultimate fa- fantasy is for there to be a local kids slash teens, news, teen newspaper in every community, every neighborhood all around the country. I, w- I want to decentralize this operation. What uh, What's kind of the easiest part of doing this and what's the hardest part from your end? The, I mean, I don't know if it's easy, but the funnest part is just corresponding with the writers. Um, it's, it's, okay, if I can get serious just for one second. I mean, this is such a rough time for so many people and you know we're just bombarded by crappy news every day um and selfishly this has been a a bright spot for me where i just get to email with a kid or with the parent of a kid who passes it on uh and and you know be involved in this creative um situation where where someone is often writing something for the first time or writing a certain kind of thing for the first time and stretching their wings. And I get to be the person who, who, you know, gets to say nice things about it and and help them do that. And I feel like incredibly um, lucky that I get this little dollop of happiness sprinkled throughout my day every time I get to correspond with a kid. And it's all, (laughs) it's also really funny. I, um, you know, I, I really pride myself on my, editorial correspondence with with my contributors and i'll write a real long um thoughtful heartfelt um sort of editorial reply to a piece and really get into what was great about it and and what i'm so proud of them for and you know kids have a different way of emailing than we grown-ups do and i will often get like a reply that just says okay (laughs) (laughs) that's nice They, they cut out all the chit chat uh, what about the hardest oh yeah the hardest um well i mean it's hard it's hard hearing about how difficult this is for kids and teens i keep saying kids but I, by that i mean anyone under 18 um you know i've gotten some pretty wrenching pieces about um what this means for for their mental health um or for you know, I, I think a lot of young people are seeing the connection between the pandemic and other issues like social justice. And um, you know, after George Floyd's death, we got some pieces that were pretty wrenching. Um, yeah, it's hard seeing pain um, in in young people. Um, and then uh, what else is hard? You know, it's 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 hard. Um, I would say my biggest challenge is really just like getting this in front of as many kids as possible, uh, kids from all over um, who and convincing them that they can do it, too. This is not homework. This is not hard. This is this is a paper that is that exists to reflect their their realities and they don't need to act like an adult or write like an adult. They can really just write whatever feels true to them. Um, so that's, I don't know if I'd say it's hard, but that's, that's the big challenge is I really want to get this out there. 
Talk to me about the submissions process. How can kids get involved? And um, I, I see you have foreign correspondence. Uh, does it have to be a Bernal Heights child? What's sort of your your rule book when it comes oh, to God, that? Oh, God, no. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, yes, this paper did start in Bernal Heights, and, and we've got special love for, for Bernal Heights, of course. But like I said, it's a, it's a local paper for everywhere now. And um, we... Uh, have, we have a new website that makes it really easy to read past issues, uh, to find prompts, because, uh, you know, it's not easy coming up with a story idea. Um, so there's writing prompts, story story ideas on the site, and there's a super handy way that you can uh, enter your story right through the site if you if you want to do it that way, or you can email me. Uh, the website is sixfeetofnews.com, sixfeetofnews.com. Nice. Um, you are a writer, and uh, this is not your your full time job. Um, and you've got a book coming out. It was supposed to come out in October, and you've moved it to March. But I still want to talk about that because I absolutely love the concept called "Off the Day the Internet Died." When did this start, and uh, what's sort of that journey been like? Yeah, thank you. Um, it, it's uh, it's a it's a picture book for grown-ups. It's sort of a grown-up bedtime story. Um, it's called Off, and it the idea came about long before the pandemic. Um, it was at a time when the internet sort of had a had a different uh, character in in our lives, I think. Um, and it's just a it's a fantasy of what life is like. It's sort of a futuristic, absurd, silly, serious, also. Uh, vision of a world where the internet dies and people create a new world after the internet. Um, and I think it's a fantasy that all of us have had at one point or another, or many points. Um, and uh, yeah, I I just wanted to see what that would actually look like and also to be a little funny about it. So it's a it's a funny book um, and it's got these beautiful illustrations by an illustrator named Rini Shaw in New York. She's wonderful. Um, and yeah, when it comes out in spring, my hope is that, um, we will be far enough along in our relationship to the pandemic and the election and so forth that we will once again be sick of the internet and will once again, um, enjoy fantasizing about a, an offline life. Is this a book for, um, adults? Is it a book for, uh, your writers at six feet of separation or a little bit of both? Cause I looked at I it a little bit of a, the, just the cover. I thought this might have like a go the F to sleep vibe, but, uh, yeah. 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 It has, well, I, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, do kids read go the F to sleep? I don't really know, but I, I think it's for, <laughs> um, I think it's for adults and I think, well, based on my, um, scientific study of having it lying around my own house with my two kids, um, my prediction is that, it's the adults who will read it and then their kids will see it lying around and then they will enjoy it as well. Um, so I am not the keeper of the lightning round. That is Heather Knight and she is not mm-hmm. on this call, but um, but I have permission to give it to you. Will you do a quick lightning round for us, San Francisco yeah. based? Excellent. Yeah. You ready? I think so. Favorite place to get a burrito? Cancun. On mission. What's, what's your order? Uh, I get a veggie and you can't say super veggie because sometimes super veggie means I want all the stuff 
and other other places, super veggie refers to the to a larger version. And I don't want the larger version, so I just say nice. veggie with everything. Nice. Uh, favorite San Francisco movie? Uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Tell me about that. What did you like? Where did you see it? What kind of was your experience with that movie? Because I think it's fantastic. Joe Talbot is a is a friend. He's the director, and he lives here in Bernal. Um, so it was all it was something that. And and Jimmy Fails, the one of the stars, was always you would see them walking around with their camera and stuff um, for years. Um, so it was like a movie that I always knew was cooking, and I was like, oh no way! I mean, who, who actually can finish a feature film? I was I was like, I just couldn't believe that 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 could happen. Um, and then I I don't remember where I saw it, but I was I just was blown away. It was so beautiful and it was so unlike. Um, any other film, just the, the the look of the thing was so unlike anything else and so beautifully strange and lovely. Um, and and I was sick of all our old San Francisco movies. I don't want to see Bullet again. I'm tired of Bullet. Yeah. Um, we needed he something. He steals a chronicle in Bullet. I, that movie's <laughs> I dead know. to me anyway. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah, I feel like San Francisco needed a new a new look at itself, a new, a new interpretation. So yeah, it really captured not just what life is like, but sort of like, um, what life could be like in this other dimension. And, you know, we hear about all these movies that are being made over three or four or five years with no money and you very rarely see them. So to see one turn up and be as good as that was and on point and dreamlike and beautiful and thoughtful, uh, it was just absolutely lovely. Yeah, um, exactly. I have really stretched out this lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite place in San Francisco to get a stiff drink? Oh, well, I, my wife and I moved to Bernal largely because of Wild Side West. Um, and um, that will always be one of my favorite bars in the world. Um, I don't like telling people about Royal Cuckoo because I don't want it to get too, too crowded. Um, but I love the Royal Cuckoo. Um, and I'll spare you all my, my tears over all the, the bars that have closed lately. Yeah. We won't go down that road. I've got yeah. quite a few I'm sad about too. Uh, last thing you've read other than six feet of separation. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, oh boy. Heavy. Uh, the memoir heavy um and i'm still i'm still processing that 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 did a number on me that was that was a intense book that was wonderful um i'm almost done with the overstory i know i'm late to that party that's also blowing me away um uh my my friend bonnie Tsui, i i should um mention her book it's great why we swim um she's she's my my work wife we uh in in the before times we shared an office so i watched her write that book and so i want to give a big shout out to that one tell me again and it, it's out the, it's the out book. why we swim she's she's a former san francisco now a berkeley resident and um she is obsessed with swimming and she shares that obsession very uh very wonderfully in this book sweet yeah um your takeout all-star your your place you've gone to 
either the most or your favorite takeout place, the one that's gotten you through the last few months? Mm, well, I got to I got to um, give some love to um, Tacos Los Altos here here on Cortland Avenue in Bernal. That is a controversial thing to say. I know that um, <laughs> people do not always like putting actual vegetables in a veggie burrito or veggie taco. I get that. I hear you people who object. <laughs> I, and I in uh, in theory, I would not like that, but it just I like it when they do it. I don't know what to say. It's good. Um, but it's also just a lovely place. Um, and I really hope people keep supporting it because it needs to be around. Tacos Los Altos on Cortland. I feel like the uh, what goes in a burrito and whether you can call it Frisco discussions are kind of... <laughs> I, they don't, they don't uh, have the impact that they did six months ago. So it's I'm true. It's great. True. I'm been... great with your food choices. <laughs> Thank you. uh, okay, last one. Um, okay, Bernal Heights is one of my favorite places to decompress. I have biked out up to Bernal Rock or higher twice during the pandemic. It's such a beautiful place. Uh, I think it's my favorite view in San Francisco. I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite place to decompress? Just go and 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 have a have a moment and and be lost in your thoughts and and see something beautiful. Um, all right, I'm going to pretend that I actually do ever decompress. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, we have a new dog in our house, so so now I walk around Bernal Hill pretty regularly. Um, yeah, I mean, Bernal Hill, yeah, it, it's definitely, I think it's my favorite view in the city, too. Um, uh, but then within that view, like, there's certain parts of it that feels like you're, that feel like you're on Mars. Um, there's that sort of, it's the red chert that you see, that, that red rocky section that really feels like you're on Mars. And lately, with all the smoke from the fires, it feels like sort of like a post-apocalypse Mars. So I don't know if that counts as decompression, but it does take me to a, a strange and dreamlike place that I, that I do, I do love. So yeah, I would say the, um, a certain corner of the top of Bernal Hill is my, my decompression slash dream spot. Well, you kicked butt with the lightning round. Did Um, I win? You, I think you might have. Heather Knight has interviewed politicians, and they can't name a burrito place. Like they freeze up. Uh, um, so you didn't freeze once. Oh, that's recall. I hope they get recalled. <laughs> well, congratulations on the newspaper. Uh, I just—it's absolutely a beautiful thing at a time that we needed it. And every time I read it, I am surprised and enjoy it. And I just want to thank you and congratulate you on just probably my favorite project during this horrible time. Ah, oh, thank you. That, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Um, I, I hope everyone gets to uh, gets to read it and, and submit stuff. If you know, if you have a young person in your life or adjacent to your life, sixfeetofnews.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from everybody. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Peter. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Sarah Feldberg and my guest, Chris Collin. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. 
Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com slash pod.